Take your Bibles now. Stay standing. First Peter chapter number four this evening, this morning. First Peter chapter number four. First Peter chapter number four. Go to the book of Revelation. Work your way back towards the front of your Bible. You're running to it faster and starting in Genesis. First Peter chapter number four. Begin in verse number twelve. Responsively, I'll read out loud verse number twelve. You'll join me on verse thirteen, and we'll alternate down to verse number nineteen. First Peter chapter number four. 1 Peter chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 12, the Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, Happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, thank you for being our God. Lord, thank you for all that you've done for us through salvation. Lord, through the many blessings that we receive at living life by faith in you through the promises of God's word. Lord, we're here this morning because we need you yet again. Lord, there's been a lot of work this week. Many folks have worked long hours at a job and then sacrificed and volunteered time at the church, whether it be on the property or through witnessing and passing out of tracts. It's been a lot of work and a lot of preparation. Our minds and our bodies may even be a little bit weary this morning. Lord, some are recovering from sicknesses, and we're glad they're here this morning. But, Lord, strengthen our minds now as the Word of God is being preached. Allow us to be able to focus on God's Word. Fill the preacher now with your Holy Spirit's power. We'll ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Keep your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll use it here in just a little while. If you would, if I could get your attention, and if you would look right at me, if you'll get the beginning portion of this sermon, it will make more sense to you. I say this out of all sincerity. I truly, truly want to help you today. I may say some things in a harsh way, but don't take it as me being mean or unkind. It's going to only be harsh because of how degraded our society is today. What I'll say today is nothing new, but it is something that we need to hear. Listen very carefully. Why are we so perplexed when difficulty comes? I realize that accidents, deaths, disappointment, diseases... They're not planned. But why are most people so out of sorts when something negative comes into their lives? I'll be honest with you. Nobody likes bad news. I don't enjoy bad news. That's why I don't watch the news. (laughs) Uh, Nobody enjoys hearing it's cancer. Nobody enjoys the call from the police department that one of your loved ones has been in an accident. Nobody enjoys the, uh, the, the phone call that someone you know and love has died. It, it, there's nothing enjoyable about that. I live my life with those phone calls. There is not a seven-day period go by that I don't hear of someone dying, that I know personally. You say, preacher, uh, how do you stay on topside? Well, 
I have to realize I'm not the only one with a problem. Too many times in life we feel that we're the only one with a problem and that our problem is the worst problem there is. You see, I hate to disappoint you. Your problem may be most important to you, but it's not maybe the most important one in the world. Well, preacher, I, I've got this ailment. Okay, let's go to the cancer hospital where the children are at. You see what I'm saying? Please don't take me wrongly. But your problem is not the only problem. And it's probably not the worst problem in the world. But you don't understand, preacher. I've got cancer. I'm dying. Well, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. What's so bad about that? I hate to disappoint you. You see, you're not the only person in the world with a problem. And there are most often times are people that have far worse problems than we have. <laughs> Did you know you don't get a trophy in life because you got the biggest boo-boo? <laughs> I didn't know how else to word that. There's too many of us that we go through life kind of like two kids in school comparing boo-boos. Well, my problem's worse than your problem. Oh, yeah, you got that problem, but I know somebody has got this. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Why are we comparing problems? I want you to notice something in 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse number 12. Beloved... Think it not, what's the next word? Strange. Strange, concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Didn't say might. Says is. As though some strange thing happened to you. Now everybody look at me for a second. How many of you know someone who has ever had cancer? Raise your hand. All right, that's almost every person in the room. How many of you know somebody in here who has died? Raise your hand. Everybody. How many of you know somebody that's been in a bad car accident or gotten bad health news that's terminal? Dementia, Alzheimer's, or MS, or something like that. Raise your hand. Virtually everybody. So why, when it happens to us, is it such a strange thing? Young man, well, he's not young. Middle-aged man sitting back here, Mr. Kevin. How, how many years ago? 38? 37 years ago. That's close. Uh, see, I was right. Uh, don't correct my preaching while I'm preaching. <laughs> 37, almost 38 years ago, was riding his motorcycle, got hit by a truck, and threw him about 150, 200 feet. He was in the hospital and ICU for months and months and months and months. You won't find a guy with a better attitude than Kevin. You won't. He came indoors and he said, Preacher, no problem, I'll just shake it off. <laughs> I love that. I wonder how many people in his situation would complain about it their whole life. Everybody doing okay? Just when you thought you had it bad, huh? You see, why do we think it's so strange when it happens to us? You see, you say, well, uh, it shouldn't happen that way. Then people say, well, I don't understand why God's doing this to me. Dangerous statement. Can I tell you how God says we're supposed to respond to these strange trials, these strange events. Look at verse 13. Let's go back to verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. Does that sound like it's going to be pleasant? Which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but what's the next word? Rejoice. Oh, look at me. 
God said, don't think it's strange. He said, rejoice. Title of my sermon today is Rejoice, Don't Whine. Rejoice, Don't Complain. God says when these trials come, we are to rejoice, not mope around in depression. God didn't say just wander around. Matter of fact, please let me just read the Bible to you. Don't get mad at me for preaching it. I'm just re- preaching what he wrote. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Have you ever seen a murderer that was actually guilty in his own mind? Did you ever see a thief that it wasn't because he, he had to have it. He just didn't have the money to pay for it. And isn't it amazing their attitudes about life? Why is it then God says, why do you respond to a fiery trial the same way as a murderer or a thief or a busybody? Now, I didn't say it. God did. Why is it that when something bad happens, we're as mad, angry, and bitter at God as a murderer is that he got caught and has to spend the rest of his life in jail? Did you know that if something bad comes to your life, it's not a life sentence? You don't have to let the world know how terrible it really is. There are some people I don't ask how they're doing because they're going to tell me. <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. You've met that person. You're going to hear things you really don't want to hear. Now, wait a minute. God says when these fiery trials come, we're not supposed to react to them as the murderer or the thief. Or the evildoer. We're not supposed to be like the prisoners in jail blaming everybody else because it took place. Or woe is me and I have to suffer all this by myself and I can't believe God made me do this. Sounds just like the world today, doesn't it? Now, God says when these fiery trials come, instead of complaining about it, God wants us to rejoice. That sounds strange. Let me say right here, God does not say rejoice about the problem. God doesn't say, well, preacher, you've got cancer. Well, praise the Lord, I got cancer. That's a bunch of stupidity. Please allow me To use plain words. God didn't say rejoice in the fiery trial that comes to you or about it. He said, but when it comes, you better learn to rejoice. You don't have to rejoice, Kevin, in the accident. But you can rejoice about the things that God tells us to rejoice about and take it. You don't have to rejoice in the loss of a loved one. But you can rejoice in the eternal things of God. That there is a heaven. That your loved one is no longer hurting. That everything's okay in my father's house. Hey, uh, I stood here two and a half years ago and did my own mama's funeral. Can I tell you something? Wasn't real happy she died. But I was able to rejoice. Say, how's that preacher? Because I knew where she was at. I know she was all better. She was walking for the first time in years. She wasn't hurting anymore. She wasn't going through infection after infection after infection. She wasn't feeling miserable anymore. Do I miss her? Daily. I say this often. You don't get over someone's death. You get through it. Shoot, I miss Brother Jimbo. I mean... When I need some moonshine now, I gotta go. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> Loretta's gotta go find it. I mean, uh, no. 
Brother Jimbo was my buddy, let me tell you. He really was. Uh, Brother James, I miss Miss Lily. What a sweetheart of a lady. She had a smile that could light the world. She really did. It didn't matter how bad a day I was having. If Miss Lily was here, she'd, she'd flash those pretty white teeth at you, and it was just all okay. Miss Osie, God bless Miss Osie. Miss Osie was, she was a character. Uh, and I miss Miss Osie. And I, I, I was thinking of Matthew's dear wife. What a sweet lady. God, in our idea, we prematurely lost her. But honestly, if you knew how bad she suffered her whole life, she was married to Matthew. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, she, she had a, a disease in her body where she, she had no immunity of any kind. She was taking shots. Was it every week or every month? Every week. Just so that she wouldn't be sicker than she already was. Tough. I could go down the list. I, I shouldn't have started. I was thinking of Brother Scott's mom this morning. Miss Ann, you talk about a character. Oh, my soul. You never doubted where you stood with Ann. Never. Uh, to have that as your son, can you imagine? I mean, come on now. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I, I, down, down the line, I could go. I mean that. Many of them suffered, suffered tremendously. I didn't say you praise God for the cancers or the diseases they had, but we have a lot to praise God for and rejoice in. You see, we can rejoice in how we see God using that situation in their life, in our life, to do good things with it. We're not to rejoice in that someone dies. But we can rejoice that good comes from their death. I talked to my sister-in-law this week. Asked her if I could use this. And she said graciously to do so. I'll be gentle. I'll be a bit general. But of course just back in February my brother-in-law. My wife's sister's husband, 57 years old, died of pancreatic cancer. Found out the week of Thanksgiving was gone in February. A younger man, 57, real young. Real young. Now, wait a minute. Paul was saved. And I, I asked my sister-in-law if I could say this. Paul and Crystal were saved, but they didn't always live a good Christian life, to say the least. But can I tell you, I went down and our, he died, and then the same morning we left and drove to Georgia because our grandson was going to be born in the next couple days. He was born. I flew to Texas. I did Paul's funeral. I think we had 15, 18 folks saved. I don't remember, a dozen or more at least. Some of which was family. Some was prison guards with whom he worked and others. Two days after the funeral, my sister, or I had flown back and my sister-in-law called me and one of their adopted kids who's an adult called her and said, I, I watched the funeral online and I got saved. Crystal's family's back in church. They're going every week. She went out soul winning for the first time in decades. She said, Craig, it's a shame it took Paul's death for us to get busy doing stuff for God again. Her son and his wife and kids are going to church with her. Now, if you knew that situation, that's a miracle in and of itself. Can I tell you something? Should I be rejoicing that Paul died? 
No. I'm thankful for a place called heaven. But I'm also thankful for what God's doing in that situation. I'm not rejoicing that he's not here. I am rejoicing in what God's doing with that situation. Preacher, how do you take it? Preacher, how do I rejoice when my heart hurts so badly? Preacher, I'm not like you. I can't do this. Preacher, it's not fair to do this. Why'd God do it? Why me, preacher? Why my family, preacher? These are all things people say when they think that it's some strange thing happening to them. Why should I rejoice and not complain? How can anyone rejoice and not complain when these things happen? <laughs> or the thing I hear most, that's just not normal, preacher. Well, have you seen what the world calls normal? I don't want to be normal. Let me say something. If God gives you a command, he's given you the ability to obey a command. You know, God's never told you to do something you could not do. God's never given a command to us without giving us the ability to obey that command. It's very simple. If God tells us to do it, we must see what he says and obey it and do it. If he says, don't think of it as some strange thing coming to you, but rejoice. I didn't see a question mark in that statement. It's as much of a command as thou shalt not lie. Everybody doing okay? So our sinful mind and our sinful flesh may not agree with God, but I'm here to shout, I'd rather trust God than me any day. I'd rather live by faith than try trusting my feelings. I'd rather obey what the word of God says, whether it makes sense or not to me, because I happen to know the one who wrote it, and guess what? It makes sense to he, and that's all that matters. You're one letter off when you say me. You ought to say he. See, too many of us, it's, well, this is how I see it, preacher. This, from my point of view, God doesn't care about your point of view. You're on the wrong side of it. My pastor for many, many years, Brother Hiles, he's, uh, he has written quite a few books and things. And one of his books on poetry, uh, or one of his books, uh, I think it's Strength and Beauty or Grace and Truth, there's a thing in there. When he was a child, his mom did needlepoint. You all know what needlepoint is? That's that white thing with the loopy thing on there, and they use their needle in all different colors of threads. You know, uh, uh, it's one of those things no man ever wants to do, amen? Uh-uh. Is all that thing is a fancy target to shoot with, amen? Now, wait a minute. Uh, his mother would do needlepoint. He was so small, he never, he would be looking up, and it, if you ever looked at the bottom of that thing inside that little loopy thing, Man, it looks like a tangled mess of stuff. And he'd say, Mama, what you doing? She said, I'm needlepointing. I'm making a beautiful thing for a pillow. And he'd look up and say, Mama, doesn't look real beautiful to me. She said, you just wait till I'm done. When I'm done, I'll set you on my knee and let you see what I see. Too many of you are looking at the wrong side of the fiery trial. You're looking from the bottom side up and God's looking from the top side down and what you see on the bottom might be a tangled mess but what God sees on top is a beautiful thing of art. Maybe we need a perspective change. Have you ever taken off in an airplane and it's raining and gloomy and nasty out and about five to seven minutes later 
you cut through the clouds and it's bright and sunny and everybody's shutting the shades because it's piercing. You got to get on the right side of the clouds. Too many times we're stuck down in the gloom and doom and that's all we want to see and we forget there's another side of that cloud. And when you get on the other side of that cloud, it's a whole lot brighter. Let me give you a few thoughts today. Number one, notice you have never suffered anything that Jesus did not suffer for us. You have never suffered anything that your Savior did not suffer for you. Look at First Peter again, verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of what? Christ's sufferings. Do you know that Jesus came in Bethlehem's manger to be robed in flesh? He put on a body that could die. He lived our righteousness in the same flesh you and I live in. He lived the life God intended us to live in the Garden of Eden. But when man sinned, we brought death to our bodies, to our flesh. And Jesus couldn't just leave heaven and come to earth and die in the same day or hour because he had to live our righteousness in a body that could die. Now watch this. He suffered everything you and I suffer. He suffered the same temptations. He suffered the same trials. He faced the same death. He faced the same diseases. He faced the same persecution. He faced the same false accusations. Should I go on? You can't go through anything Jesus hadn't gone through. Nothing. Isaiah chapter 53, you need not turn there. If you ever want to read in the Old Testament about Jesus, go to Isaiah 53. Let me read what... God records in the Old Testament prophesying what Jesus would be for us. Who hath believed our report and to whom are the, uh, is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of, the, of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. By the way, Jesus was a plain, ordinary man. He didn't have long hair, and he didn't wiggle when he walked. Verse number three, he was, is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet... We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Talking about Calvary. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before the shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. I've got to stop there for time's sake. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I hate to tell you something. Jesus' life here on earth was not real peaceful. Everywhere he went, they were trying to criticize him, kill him, or get rid of him. Philippians chapter 3, just back a few pages from 1 Peter. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10 reads this way. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of of his sufferings being made conformable unto death. Did you know that there is fellowship in suffering? Yes. 
Some of you that were in Brother Randy's senior citizens class today. Yeah, you suffered. You had to, <laughs> you had to suffer with Brother Randy. I mean, uh, you, no, seriously. Why do we kind of divide things up age-wise? Because those in that age category understand the suffering each one's going through. They all had to get the oil can out, the WD-40, and spray the joints this morning to get going. They had to take the Geritol and the, uh, all the other things and uh, take the teeth out of the cup and find your, uh, find your ears in the nightstand and all those other things. You all know what I'm talking about. Wait a minute, there's fellowship in suffering. You understand one another. You then begin to fellowship because you understand those needs. Uh, some of you that have lost a spouse, sometimes you all get together and go out together for a meal. And I love that. You say, why? Because there's fellowship in your suffering. It's healthy. It's not bad. Jesus was God in the flesh. And he took on him all of our suffering, all of our pain, all of our sin, and he took it on him. Don't you say he doesn't understand. Amen. Don't you dare point a finger at God and say, God, you don't understand. You cannot face a problem that Jesus didn't understand. He gave us a book that has all the answers in it. May I say this humbly? He gives you a pastor to show you guidance from the book with all the answers in it. And he gives you a church for support with other people going through the same problems you're going through. Maybe if we would do it God's way and not man's way, we would be better off. Did you know there's not a psychologist mentioned in the Bible? I was joking with one of our ladies. She was a nurse for many, many, many decades. She just recently joined our church. And I, she said... She said, I'm glad you're not one of these psycho, psychology kind of preachers. I said, no. I said, you know what the difference between a psychologist doctor is and a patient? She said, no, what? I said, one medication. <laughs> she laughed. She said, there's a lot of truth. I said, I don't know. Uh, the Bible is here for our answers. God gives you a man of God to teach it to you and to guide you in it and counsel and help and in teaching and instruction so that we can get through these problems together. God never promised you a life with no problems. Amen. Not one time. We're all sinners. Because we're all sinners, we're all going to have problems. But may I say this, you'll never face a problem Jesus didn't face. Never one. You don't understand, preacher, my family doesn't like me. How do you think Jesus felt? They kicked him out of his own town. They crucified him and killed him. They haven't killed you yet. Say, well, they're trying pretty hard. Now, wait a minute. Say, preacher, I'm lonely. Don't you think the Son of God was lonely? The Bible says foxes have holes, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. Huh. So? Before you point your finger at God and say, God, you just don't understand. Maybe you ought to realize he understands more than you understand. Amen. You're looking at the bottom of the needle point, not the top. Number two, God never gives us permission to complain about a problem. Now we're going to go from preaching to meddling. Numbers chapter 11, you need not turn there. Numbers chapter 11, verse number 1, let me read it to you. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. Before you start whining and complaining, remember, God hates complaining. That's the Jews in the wilderness. 
The very ones that he wanted in Canaan by Numbers chapter 11. But because they wouldn't obey God, they're now wandering in the wilderness and now they're complaining. God's provided their water. God's provided their food. God's provided their clothing to grow with them. Oh, to God that would happen again. Uh, but uh, all those things, and yet they're still complaining. God says, I'm done with you. I'm angry. God doesn't look kindly at complaining. Well, uh, preacher, I... God's not been providing for me, right? Maybe it's not your selfishness, but if you've got a roof over your head and food in your gut and clothes on your back, you've got enough. Amen. Job 7.11 says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Psalm 55 let me read a few verses out of the book of Psalms. Psalm 55, verse number 2. Mine eyes would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Wow. <laughs> but verse number nine says, When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know. God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Can I tell you something? Maybe we ought to take God at his word. Amen. Psalm 77 verses 1 through 3 verse 6 all talk about us when, we, when I, we complain that God does not hear us. Don't turn there. You can look at it later. Matter of fact, God said, when you start whining and complaining about your problem, you're like that person in jail whining and complaining that they got caught for the wrong they did. Number three, God tells us to rejoice when, not if, the hard times come. God tells us to rejoice when, not if. The hard times come. I wish I could tell you you'd never have a heartache. Sherry and Larry, I wish I could tell you you'd never have another heartache. But I do remember Sherry, your brother, getting saved. Brother Larry, your mama went to heaven not too long ago. I wish I could tell you that it's all going to be better, but She's in heaven. You'll get to see her again. But that's not the last of the problems, unfortunately. I wish I could stand before you and tell you you'd never, ever, ever have a problem again. These preachers that get up and say, well, just uh, trust Jesus and all your problems go away. They didn't read the same Bible I read. If that's the case, their very Savior didn't do very well because they killed him. It amazes me how we think that we should never have a problem. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 says, Who rejoice now in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Can I tell you something? This church is not for perfect people. And we all ought to be thankful. Amen. Our little motto is we're a hospital, not a museum. This isn't a, a place to put things on display of what was. It's an emergency room where people come to get help for what is. And that's the truth. If you're looking for a perfect church, I'm sorry, you'll have to look somewhere else. 
Because the moment you show up, it, ref- it, it no longer remains perfect because none of us are perfect. None of us. God says, but we ought to rejoice when those trials come. Then preacher, if I'm not to rejoice about the trial, what do I rejoice about? Are you ready? I'm about to shout. Number one, God says we're, we're to rejoice in the fact that we can be saved. Oh, there's so many verses. I'm just going to read a, a couple of them to you here. Psalm 9. Psalm 9, verse number 14, says this, That I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in thy salvation. Psalm 13, verse number 5 says, But I have trusted in thy mercy, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Let me turn back a couple pages from First. Peter there, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 1 verse 17 says, But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel, what then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Amen. A preacher friend of mine up in Maine called me this week, and he said, Preacher, pray for me. I got a funeral on Saturday. He said there's supposed to be over 100 people there, and it's a little bit of a rough situation. He said, matter of fact, the mo- motorcycle gang's bringing the urn in. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> I texted him yesterday afternoon. I knew what time he was preaching. I was praying for him. He texted me and said, he said, preacher, he said over 30 hands were raised for salvation today in that funeral. Amen. Not rejoicing in the lady that went to heaven, but rejoicing in those that got saved. Amen. Can I tell you something? When, when the news comes that's bad, just thank God that your sins are washed away. Amen. Your name's written in heaven. When you die, you're going to heaven. You don't have to burn in hell for an eternity. And I don't care how bad it is. Any from the, anything from that, is, is, is it's okay. I've watched enough folks die. I think they're the lucky ones. We got to stay here. They get to go to heaven if they're saved. So, first of all, when things when those fiery trials come, why don't you thank God for being saved? Number 2, we ought to rejoice in the never-changing words of God. Psalm 119, verse number 62, and I could read many, many, many other verses, but I'm not going to. Psalm 119, verse 62, at midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. You don't get up at midnight just because everything's going good. The word of God does not change. Can I tell you something? I may not be able to see, but I can see the one who does see. I might not know where the next step is, but I hold the hand of the one taking the step before me. You see, I can rejoice that God gave us the word of God complete. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Say, preacher, how do you make it? I have the very words of God. These are not the words of men. These are the words of God. These aren't the thoughts of God put into men's minds who put those words from their mind on paper. They are word for word from God. How many times you go through the Old Testament and it says, And the word of the Lord came unto me saying... Well, when words are being said, they're being spoken. I don't tell my secretary, look, I have to write this pastor, write a letter for me, and just sign my name. Doesn't work that way. Say why? To be my words. My words. So, we rejoice and we're saved. We rejoice in the word of God. 
Matter of fact, God says in Romans twelve fifteen, rejoice with them that rejoice. Second Corinthians two three. First second uh, first Thessalonians chapter four. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. In other words, when somebody else is rejoicing, rejoice with them. Amen. Well, I'm glad you can be happy. I wish I could be happy right now. <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> can I tell you something? Being saved's fun. I didn't say everything's always enjoyable, but it sure is fun. <laughs> Preaching's even more fun because when you got a coon in the tree, arr, keep him up there for a while. Amen. When somebody has something good happen to them, do me a favor: quit complaining about what you didn't get and rejoice with them. Amen. That's what God says to do. I remember as we were building our building and. God kept providing money for the construction of this building miraculously. I had a preacher friend that said, well, God never does that for me. I thought, well, maybe if you get out there and do something, he might. But I've had preacher friends that I've helped in their building programs do the very same thing we did. And when they got a check and we didn't, I rejoiced with them. I didn't say, okay, God, now where's mine? No, we've already had plenty of ours. I'm thankful. I could be truly, truly, truly excited for them. So rejoice with them that rejoice. Next, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 2, that we are to rejoice in hope. Can I tell you something? Hope. Preacher, I, I, I've lost all hope. Well... You read this book, it'll give you hope. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, that there is, there is love, hope, and faith. The greatest of these is love. But love, faith, and hope, all three go together. I had faith that my wife, when we were dating, was the one I was supposed to marry. I had enough love to do it. The day of the wedding, I said, man, I hope I'm doing right. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? I did right, but she didn't. That's for sure. Now, wait a minute. Love, hope, and faith. Yeah, buddy. It's amazing how hope and faith go together. Not positive thinking, hope. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2. Let me read a couple verses to you. And I'll shut up here. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 16. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, if I be offered upon the sacrifice, the service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus. Did you know Jesus is coming back? Amen. I have hope and I have joy that Jesus is coming. I've said this at many a graveside in recent years. Jesus made a promise in the Old Testament, God did, that Jesus would come in Bethlehem's manger. People laughed that a virgin would have a child. Guess what? She did. And the miracle of the virgin birth is not the virgin, it's the father, not the mother. Amen. If God kept his promise of the virgin-born Christ... Don't you think he's going to keep his promise that Jesus is coming back for us? If he didn't break it the first time, he's not going to break it the next time. Someday Jesus is going to come back and we're going to blow this popsicle stand. And the devil's going to take over in full force without any saved people being here. And we're going to be in heaven 
having the time of our life for about seven years at the marriage feast of the Lamb, receiving our rewards and eating without gaining weight. Gloria te Dios. Yeah. I'm not looking anywhere but in the mirror. Yeah, buddy. Jesus is coming back. But wait a minute. God tells us there are some things we should not rejoice in. He says in Luke chapter 10, verse number 20, Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. God says, don't you uh, rejoice in power. Don't rejoice in your ability to lead and the things that you do. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Amen. So many things I could keep saying I've left a lot out. The Hebrews did nothing but complain from the time they left Egypt all the way through the promised land until they got a king. Then they complained they had a king. Think through this for a second. There were approximately three and a half to five million Jews that left Egypt. If we use the lower number and let's say two million of those died in the wilderness in 40 years. That's 137 funerals every day for 40 years. A hundred and thirty-seven funerals every day, seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days a year for 40 years. They paid a pretty high price for complaining. Don't think it's strange when the fiery trial comes. Don't think that it's God picking on you. We ought not complain. We've lived a good life. We've had a great opportunity. Oh, it's not been as easy for some as it is for others. I will grant that. But for some of you that it's tougher, you're going to step ahead of us in the line for rewards. Christianity is not measured by where you are, but by how far you've come. Think through that for a second. The greatest Christian in this room probably is not Brother Josh or I. It's probably somebody in here that lived a pretty bad life. Has had to come a farther distance than we've come. God doesn't measure it by where you are, but by how far you've come. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done.